You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. We're in this series called Mind the Gap, and um, it's been pretty sweet. It's pretty, pretty good. I have learned a lot. Um, there's both in service, we're doing this on Sunday mornings, but we're also doing this in small groups during the week. How many of you guys are in a small group? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a lot of you guys are in a small group. It's not too late if you just want to creep in on a group. There's a story that we've been sharing as a staff because it's so encouraging. There's a gentleman who came looking for one class, but he ended up finding another. And then he was like, whoa, this is really good. So then he's like, I'm coming back tomorrow. And he just like, every day he's been coming back to church, just crashing classes. And it's like my favorite thing in the world because he's just receiving so much goodness from being in the different group. So I encourage you to get in a group or just grab some books, some of the Mind the Gap books, and do that with your family. Do that. You can find the videos online. We can send them to you, um, but they're on our YouTube page, so you could do this together as a family. Um, Because some of the stuff we're talking about, like this is real life stuff, Um, the gaps between our head and our heart, what we know and what we do, they exist. They exist for all of us. There's so many things that I hope and dream and even think, but then when, when I, you know, when push comes to shove, that's not how I act, right? <laughs> like I act like um, I love everybody, or I think, I believe I love everybody, but I don't always act that way. Do you guys have those moments where you're like, I love people, but when they get my order wrong, you know, <laughs> you know, like, or what, you know, like there are certain moments where all of a sudden what I think and believe and even preach to myself isn't what I express in real life. And that gap is what we want to talk about, shrinking that gap? How do we mind that gap? How do we deal with that gap? Um, Last week, Pastor Andrew talked about the knowledge gap, and the thing I took away, I always try to um, have one takeaway, and so I'll even just write it down in my notes. This is what I learned this Sunday, because I'll forget. Do you guys forget? (laughs) Really quick. I forget really fast. Literally on Tuesday, we ask each other, what did you learn on Sunday? And I'm like, let me check my notes, because <laughs> I have already forgotten. So I encourage you guys, take notes. I have to take notes, but the thing that I, I wrote down that I learned last week was um, there's a difference between knowing God um, as just an experience, as a, as a, f- a vibe, a feeling I get, versus um, knowing God because I surrender to him, I'm obedient to him, that that too is knowing him, and actually that's the stuff he's asking for, not just for us to feel good in his presence, but for us to submit to him fully. Um, so that, that like tricked me up. I was like, man, Lord, help me to not be somebody who's just obsessed with feeling your presence, but help me be somebody who's surrendered to your will all the time. There's a difference. And so today we're gonna do, um, I get to teach about uh, self-control. I get to teach about um, minding the gap of self-discipline. Yay! Like, <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, great. Like, that's just great, Andrew. You know, like, that's wonderful. But I want to read the verse, Second Peter 1, 5 through 7. This is kind of our theme verse, and it's in there. So we can't skip it. We have to talk about self-control, no matter how hard it is. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, there it is, self-control and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, uh, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Self-discipline, self-control, that's just basically the ability, your capacity to manage your emotions, your impulses, and your behaviors to achieve your goal. What do you want to do? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to be a good mom? Well, sometimes that means you have to manage some emotions, okay? 
You have to manage some impulses. You have to, man you have to do some things you don't want to do or maybe you don't really feel is very easy to do, and you have to stop doing some things that, you would, um, that feel like they would be a really good idea at that time. Um, so the idea in our head versus what we do out loud produces this gap. I know what I want to do. I want to eat healthy, right? But what I tend to grab, if left to my own devices, man, I just, we went to Costco, and I bought those, what are those cookies called? Gosh. Biscoff, thank you, son. This is, these are my people right here. Biscoff. So we bought that box of Biscoff cookies, and they're just so good. I discovered them on a plane one time, and now every time I see them, I buy them. And I just, I didn't even put them away. I left them on the counter. Because <laughs> I got, like, and so now I walk in, and we walk in, and Jared's like, can I get a Biscoff? And I'm like, yep, you get me too. You know, like, I know I should, I should put carrot sticks on the counter, but no, I got a box of Biscoffs, because that's what I want. That, that, that sounds good, because there's this gap. <laughs> between what I know and my ability to have self-control. There's a gap. And for some of us, the gap feels like this, like a small gap, like uh, this gap in our teeth. This is a gap, technically, right? And on this kid, it's kind of cute, you know? Like, oh, a little gap. I, don't fix that. Don't fix it. That's so cute. I remember when we fixed my kid's gap, and I was like a little sad because I kind of liked that gap. But for some of us, our gap in self-control, our gap in being able to manage yourself is actually more like this. It's more like the Grand Canyon. Like, there's, I have no self-control. I can't. I just eat all the Biscoffs. I eat the whole box in one day, you know? Um, I feel very proud that I only eat two at a time, quite frankly. Because <laughs> that means my gap is small. No. Um, so when I think about self-control, when I think about my ability to control my impulses, I know I got issues. Amen? When I say amen, that means you agree with me and you might share the same thing. And I'm looking for some comfort. Please help me out here. I, when I talk about self-control, when I know I have some self-control or self-discipline issues, I know I got some issues. Amen? Amen. I'm in good company. So we, we need to talk about this because we are not people who are supposed to be um, just led by our gut or led by our instincts or led by our flesh. Um, and also, we can't just do it on our own. I'm kind of a determined, um, goal-oriented person, and sometimes I'm like, I got this. You know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna know God. I'm gonna know Him so hard. I'm gonna know Him so good. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read an hour a day. I'll get into my mind. I can do this. Um, and so when Andrew first t told me I was gonna teach on self-control, this is the first video I thought of because this this reminds me of me. Let's watch this video and kind of laugh for a minute. Do it! Just do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true! Just do it! Some people dream of success while you're gonna wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible! You should get to the point where anyone else would quit, and you're not gonna stop there. No, what are you waiting for? Do it! <laughs> Just do it! Yes, you can! Just do it! If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
<laughs> oh my goodness, poor Shia. Like I do it. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna stop it. that video because that that just like feel that feels like me sometimes. That's how I feel. I'm just gonna do it, and I'm just gonna like uh, like grit and bear it, and I'm I'm gonna will. I'm gonna I'm gonna manufacture it in a way so that I can make sure that I am good. I'm gonna I'm gonna set myself up. I'm gonna challenge myself. I'm gonna beat myself up, or I'm gonna reward myself. I'm going to just be better. And I will tell you guys that if this was possible, if we could just grin and bear or position ourselves or whatever, <laughs> this weird stuff that he was doing that I honestly feel in my spirit so often, if this was possible, we wouldn't need Jesus. And because I know we need Jesus, I know we can't just do it. We can't just be good enough. We can't just manufacture grace. We can't manufacture holiness. We can't manufacture position in the kingdom. That has to come from the Father. And so if you're struggling with self-control today, and you've tried and failed, and tried and failed, and tried and failed, I want to tell you that there's grace for you today. There is grace for you today, and if, you just feeling, if you've been feeling like you just can't do it, we're going to talk about how we can shrink that gap up a little bit. There are some things that we can do, but primarily it really comes down to our connection with the Father. Self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of your connection with Christ, a fruit of how you spend time with Him. He will give you strength in the area of self-discipline so that you on your own aren't acting like a crazy person pretending you can do it all on your own. And one of the ways I know that we can't just do it, because it's a question to me, like, can I just do it? Absolutely not. There are certain things I can just do, but the whole thing, I absolutely need partnership with Christ. I absolutely need partnership with Christ. So if you're feeling discouraged, let me tell you, be encouraged today that you can do some things, but you can't do it all. And the reason we struggle with self-control, the reason we struggle with self-discipline is because we need the help of the Father. We need Him. We have to have Him. Um, I know this because anxiety and depression is real, and you can't just will yourself out of that. I know this because I know I have lots of friends and family who are struggling with addiction, and you can't just will yourself out of that. Um, I know that many, many people have a history of uh, dysfunction in their family. You cannot just will yourself out of that. You can't just control um, how you were, you were raised. You can't control some of these things. You can't just do it. We need some help. Amen? Um, areas of di discipline are both what you do and what you don't do. It's both of those things. And so for me, some of the things I do as a discipline is I read my Bible daily, okay? And so the Lord has talked to me, you need to be in the Word of God. That is something I do as a discipline. And then sometimes I'll tell you the, the Word is on fire and I'm just feeling good and I want to consume it like sweet bread, man. I want to eat it up because it's so, so good. And then I'll tell you though, sometimes it, I dip into discipline territory and I can't. I'm I'm like, okay, Lord, the verse of the day it is, because <laughs> I'm going to be obedient, but I'm not really interested today. It's not feeding me like, you know, like sometimes it feeds me, and I'm just, I'm struggling. Um, sometimes I, I don't feel like honoring rest. I love to work, and it is easier for me to overwork than it is for me to honor rest. But honoring rest, honoring the, the rhythm that the Father has given me is also something I do as a discipline. I honor the, um, the request for us to get alone 
And that's really hard for me, too, because I like to be around people. I like to, um, I like to you know, that's the, something that fuels me is to be around. But when I'm alone, sometimes I'm eas- more easily distracted. Um, it's harder for me to focus. Some things I don't do is I don't eat everything I want. <laughs> that's an area of discipline. That's an area of self-control. What I do, I go to bed when I'm tired. That's one of the disciplines I've set for myself. If I'm tired, um, I go to bed. And sometimes I suck at that. <laughs> because I am a night owl, and I love to see 12 a.m. It's like my favorite thing. I'm like, oh, I made it. You know, now I'll go to bed. But sometimes I'm tired before then, and the Lord's been talking to me, go to bed when you're tired. Some things I don't do, or I try not to do as an area of discipline, self-control, is I don't let every word come out of my mouth that I think, because that would be bad for us all. Because <laughs> controlling my thoughts is still something that the Lord is working on with me. Amen? Amen. So how do I know? I know we have an issue with self-control because I I looked up some statistics. I got some numbers for you guys. Um, I know we have an issue as a culture, as a community with self-control because people, um, it's an average, people watch around four hours of TV every day. That's 28 hours a week, two months of nonstop TV watching per year. If you live to 65, that's nine years watching TV. (gasps) ghastly. (laughs) Nine years. Nine years. Did you know that you can become an expert at something by um, practicing, I think it's two hours a day, which actually ends up being seven years of your life. You can be an expert at the piano or a language or um, something really, really cool. Instead, we're like experts at YouTube. (laughs) Uh, Screen time, just on your phone in general, screens. Uh, the average American spends five to six hours on their phone on a daily basis, not including work-related smartphone use. Holy Moses. That's what I said when I saw that. No judgment if that's you, except a little bit. I judge you a little bit, and I'm still trying to not do that. But that's a lot of screen time, (laughs) okay? And so I know we got an issue. Like, I know that there's, like, an addiction to the thing, right? There's an addiction to the thing. I just want to, I want to, like, not sit here and think. I want to sit here and be entertained. It is something that we, um, maybe need some self-control over. Um, Just how much soda we drink alone. How many think soda's good for you? Nobody thinks soda's good for you, okay? Nobody thinks it. But let me tell you, we drink 38 gallons, individuals, 38 gallons of soda a year. That's a lot of soda. Um, We gamble $29 billion away at casino, casino gaming. Um, 80% of men and 26% of men have watched pornography this week. It's an issue of self-control. And it's not even just in the church. Um, culture is starting to recognize how bad porn is for you. Starting to recognize how it decreases your ability and capacity to have a he- healthy sexual life, even in a committed marriage. So it's not just us saying maybe we should turn off the pornography. Um, it's, the, it's like kind of the rest of the world is saying it too, and yet we're still watching on a regular basis because we have an issue with self-control. The average American is um, $92,000 in debt because we spend more than we make. We have a spending issue. If we want it, we buy it. We don't want to wait till we have the money for it. That's, a, that's an issue. That's an issue. Um, only 12% of American adults 
are eating their daily dose of vegetables. <laughs> 12%. I thought I would lighten up because I know it's going to get really dark and heavy. But only 12%, and only or, uh, that's fruit. Only 9% are eating their daily vegetables per day. 9% of y'all are eating your veggies. 12% um, are eating your daily fruits. So I know, guys, I know we got an issue with self-control. And I'm not talking about um, self-control as the ability to be tidy or the ability to have good systems in your life because some of us are really good at presenting a controlled life. We got the checklist down. But sometimes self-control, our disciplinary issues are not just things that you can see. Most of the time it's stuff you can't see. Because the Lord not only cares about what you do on the outside, he definitely cares about the motivation behind all of it. My husband and I were just talking that it is impossible. It is possible to do all of the best things. You could drop $1,000 in the offering bucket every single week. But if it is self-seeking, it is not honorable to the Lord. Because he also cares about your motivation. He also cares about your heart, and that is an area of self-control as well. And so you may have the most tidy life, and I'll tell you I don't. My, my life is not tidy. You may have the most tidy life, but I'm still talking to you because I know that internally we have some issues that still need to be submitted to the Lord. Amen? That's 100% of us. We have some things that still need the Lord. And sometimes we'll say things like, this is the last time I'll do it. And so then that gives us space to do it. We'll just tell ourselves, that's the last time. I won't do it after this. How many of you guys have ever said that? That's my last time of eating the entire cake. I'll never eat the whole cake ever. You know what I mean? That's it. Or we can say things like, it didn't hurt anybody, so it doesn't matter. Like, nobody watched me do that. It doesn't actually matter that I'm doing this thing. It, it only hurts me, right? We can say things like that. We can say that at least I didn't do that and we'll point at somebody else's sin and we use our area of issue in comparison with somebody else's area of issue and it makes us feel better about us. And so it gives us more space to have lack of self-control, lack of discipline. Um, and we use this one, God doesn't judge. Well, tell us, God doesn't judge me, so I can still do this. And that last one, man, that last one gets me because here's the thing about the, the mercy and the grace of God. Here's the thing. The mercy and the grace of God, not only does it cover your sin, but it gives you the, the power to no longer sin. <laughs> It does both of those things. And so if we actually understand the fullness of who God is in our life, it will not be like the pressure of sin on us. He relieves the pressure of sin from us because of his grace. When we tap into the grace of God, it's not just like, praise God, I can do whatever I want, and he's going to forgive me. It's praise God, he loves me so much, he died for me so that I can be free from this sin, not confounded by this sin, not weighted by this sin, and it gives you the mental state of mind, the spiritual capacity to say no to the sin and say yes to the things you're supposed to be doing in Jesus' name. And so I want to just encourage you right now, if you have been considering what you're doing as okay because God doesn't judge you, I will tell you, no, he doesn't judge you, but he loves you enough to get you out of that position, out of that sin habit, out of that lifestyle. That's what his love does for you. It doesn't allow you to sit in your mess. He wants to pick you up out of your mess. That's what his grace does. That's the fullness of his grace for you, is that it doesn't let you just sit there and continue on. It allows you to get up out of it, set your feet upon a higher rock, and depend on something better. We don't have to be compelled by debt. We don't have to be conflicted by an orphan heart, and we no longer have to be thirsty for pleasure because we are submitted fully to the love of our Savior. So I want to read some scripture to you. There's a big story I want to read, and it's 
Um, it's a long one, so we're just going to read the whole thing. <laughs> but as we're reading, um, ask yourself, not what does this tell me about me, because this is one of um, the things God's shifting in my heart when I read scripture, is not to look at scripture, this is what it says about me, this is what I know about what I should do. I'm, I'm always looking for my handle when I'm looking, when I'm reading at scripture. But what I want you guys, as we're reading, is what does the scripture reveal to me about God? What does this reveal to me about the one who it's about? Because scripture's not about me. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the Savior of the world. And so as we read this, let me um, invite you into thinking, how does this reveal God to me? So we're going to turn in 2 Samuel, starting in verse, or chapter 11. We're going to read most of the chapter together. This is a really good story, so please do your best to imagine it, guys. This is the good stuff. This is a story of David and Bathsheba. <laughs> Um, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this one, and that's, that's okay. I'm okay with uh, repeats, because we're supposed to read the Bible on repeat. So I've read this story a few times. If, maybe if you're new, this is going to be a good one, guys. This is a good story, and there's a lot to learn from this story. So I'm going to go through the story without pausing if I can. Lord, give me the strength to not pause, because there's so many really cool things in here, and I just want to always talk about it. But I really want to get to what I've pulled out from the story, and this is going to help us shrink the gap of self-control. Okay, we're going to shrink that uh, self-control gap, hopefully get closer to the teeth rather than the canyon. Okay, that's the goal. But as we're reading, maybe highlight, circle things. How are you going to go back and keep studying? That's the good stuff, starting chapter 11. Here we go. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rab Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. They're setting the scene. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. It's like junior high. Hey, go, go ask her. Just kidding. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, married. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. I'm going to pause there. <laughs> I didn't pray. I'm going to pause, but that's so cool. So what this, this reveals to me, this reveals to me, like uh, um, what was really important with the Jewish people was um, the purification bathing. It was really, really important to them. And so this little note right here reveals to me um, an order of operations in David's heart, okay? And so he was really concerned. It was really noteworthy that she had been clean after her monthly cycle. That's a normal thing. Women will have to clean a certain way to be, to be purified, to um, go back into the home. He noted that she was clean after that, which meant she was available for, she was available and wanted solely him when they slept together. Which that just seems really confusing, right? Like, it's, I can sleep with her because she's clean, but I don't have an issue with the fact that she's married. It just reveals something to me about how we will absolve one behavior because it looks okay, but allow another because it's secretive. Then she went back home. Verse 5, the woman conceived and went and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Dang. 
verse 6. So David sent his word, this word to Joab, that's like the leader of his army, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was. How's the soldiers here? How's the war going? He's like making small talk. (laughs) Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace. A gift from the king was sent after him. Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, how come you didn't, um, haven't you just came home from the military campaign? Why didn't you go home? David started to get nervous at this point. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander, Joab, and the Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will do no such a thing. Then David said to them, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day until the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went to the sleep on his mat among the master servants. He did not go home. Even in his drunken state, Uriah had the integrity and the honor to not, um, to not go against tradition and go home and sleep with his wife while they were in battle. It's incredible. Verse 14, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front of where the field is, where the fighting is its fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So David had this plan. He was going to, he was just going to have Uriah come home and sleep with his wife. And then the pregnancy would be legitimized by the husband. Like, oh yeah, of course she's pregnant because Uriah came home that one day. Remember, he was going to cover his sin. Um, so not only did he have a self-control issue and, and slept with another man's wife, but then he, he followed it up with deceit, with dishonor, with, and now he's, he's, he's planning a murder, a premeditated murder. And we're going to continue on. We're going to skip down to verse 23. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. So here's his servant giving really bad news, and he, he ends the bad news with the news that David is actually waiting to hear. And instead of being mad at the bad news, kind of the, the really bad play as an army, like they messed up as an army and lost some men because of it. And instead of being mad about that, here's David's response. He told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. So he's being like, it's, it's fine, man. You did what you had to do. It's cool. Sometimes we lose some. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife, I love how scripture just starts to kind of hit home the, the thing, not Bathsheba, but when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife, bore him a son. Nowhere in this story does it express any sort of guilt, conviction from David. So this final line, it says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. And we all say, duh, right? Like, of course, that's hideous. What he did was not good. Of course it displeased the Lord. 
And here is David's response. He just marries her. He just goes on about life. It doesn't say that he's lamenting. And this is David. He's an artist. We have so many psalms of how he's lamenting, of how he's celebrating. Like, we know he's a guy who knows how to express some angst. And we have no expression of angst during this time. So let's read how he ends up coming to his place of realizing he needs to repent. Chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is a prophet. When he came to him, he said, hey, there are two men in a certain town, each one um, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, and the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept with him in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger. There it is. All of a sudden, we realize David's a man who can feel. (laughs) David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. (laughs) No, I'm sure he did it more respectfully than that. But he said, you, it's you, David. You're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives in your arms. That means David had plenty of wives. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite, the sword, and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David's lack of self-control nearly sabotages his legacy. It nearly takes away all that God had for him. But I say nearly because of how good God is. Because God is a God of mercy, and he's a God who keeps his promise. God is a God who keeps his promises, and he had some promises for David. He had some promises for David that connected us to Jesus. And so David is known after, as a man after God's own heart. And if it wasn't for the goodness of God and him sticking with his promises, we would know David as the king who failed. But instead, to this day, we still know him as the man after God's own heart. And so I just want to tell you today, whatever your sin is, if you have committed adultery, if you are addicted to porn, if you have um, an addiction to spending, whatever your self-control, the thing that you can't have, I will tell you, it is not too big for God's promises for you, and there can be freedom from your area of lack. There can be, er- there can be freedom from your area of lack of discipline. There can be freedom there, because God is a God of mercy. He's a God who keeps his promises, and he has promised you um, a life that is full, and it's not full because you're filling it with all this stuff. It's full because it can be fully with him. That's the promise that he has for you, and he keeps his promises. And because of that, I know we can be free. We do not have to fall into the gap of lacking self-control or lacking discipline. And here's how. Um, We got to keep it in our mind that keeping the gap small feeds our spirit and not our flesh. 
We gotta be a people who are desiring to feed our spirit. If you don't have it in your mind that I wanna feed my spirit, then you're, you're automatically the default. Default mode is to feed your flesh. Do whatever makes you feel good. Do whatever is immediately satisfying. Do whatever looks like winning in the eyes of everybody else, okay? When I, when I keep this in mind, I make better choices. I'm feeding my spirit today. Lord, good morning. Um, help me to feed my spirit today, not just my flesh. And I will tell you, the culture that we live in today is all about feeding the flesh. It's all about doing whatever makes you feel good. If you like the boy, send him the text, get in his bed. Like, it doesn't take too much time. Like, there's not a lot of, like, um, negative reasons to not do things that are immediately gratifying. And I'll tell you, nothing actually feeds the soul like time with God. And we, we live in a, a culture where soul care is like the main thing, taking care of your soul. You gotta take a, you gotta take a bubble bath, you gotta, get the, you gotta get the wine out, you gotta, you gotta take care of your soul. And sometimes soul care gets in the way of spirit care. And I just wanna challenge us today. If we are very, very concerned about taking care of our soul, we will take care of our spirit. Okay, t soul care should never allow us to slip away from discipline, self-control, and honoring Jesus. Because nothing takes care of your soul. Nothing feeds your soul. Nothing cares for your soul. Like prayer, worship, serving, seeking God, reading scripture. Those are the things that care for your soul more than anything. We keep the gap small when we position ourselves intentionally. There's a couple characters in here that are incredible. Okay, if you find yourself in a, a difficult situation, ask yourself how you got there, because most likely it comes, it comes with your position. Like, you probably got yourself there to start, right? Like, you walked into Target with your credit card ready. <laughs> you walked, you're just browsing, right? If you have a spending habit and you go in, like, every um, free moment, you, you browse the aisles of Target, you are setting, you are positioning yourself into your area of weakness. You are positioning yourself inappropriately. Um, Uriah, he did not want to be tempted. He did not want to be swayed into doing things he shouldn't do. So you know what he did? He slept outside, which in our mind, it looks crazy. In our mind, it seems unnecessary. Even when he was drunk, he still didn't sleep with his wife. You know why? Because he positioned himself appropriately, intentionally putting himself where he wasn't going to slip when he was weak. So if you're struggling, consider where you're positioning yourself. If you have the desire, if you want the discipline of reading your Bible every morning, don't stay up too late, okay? Because then you'll be rushed. And I tell you, a lot of us choose contour of Colossians. We choose Starbucks over Psalms, okay? You might not position yourself. We have enough time to do all the other things, but sometimes we don't have time for a scripture because I slept in. But I, I tell you, we got time to run through the drive-thru before work. You know what I mean? Like, position yourself well so that you have some time. If you want to give time to the Lord, go to bed early. That's the position. If you want to be kind with your kids, make sure that you're, um, you're going you're gonna to do that first before they bug you. <laughs> there's this thing, there's this trick I have. Um, there's, there's a couple kids at youth group who just like, just, they, they push the buttons. Praise the Lord. <laughs> they push the buttons. And so what I do is I position myself because I want to love these kids. And so as soon as they come in the door, I chase them down and I say, hey, listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a child of the most high king. I, I make sure that I position myself that I'm gonna love this kid way before they bug me. <laughs> way before they bug me, because as soon as they bug me, that's all gotta go, and I gotta tell them now how they gotta live, right? But I position, if you wanna love your kids, get them before, they're before they bug you. 
Set it up. Set yourself up. If you're trying to um, be faithful to your spouse, maybe you need to delete some apps. If you're trying to eliminate a, ha a habit um, with some alcohol or some other substances, maybe you need to pour it down the drain. There are some things we can do before it's an issue that helps it, that keeps it from being an issue. So here's the truth, though. This is the scary part. Keeping the gap small may actually lead to trouble here on earth. As we are a people who are trying to live like the Lord is calling us to live, you know what it did to Uriah? Uriah ended up being murdered by his king because he did the right thing. And so sometimes when we do the right thing, we become disillusioned thinking it's going to make it all work out. If I do the right thing, if I read my Bible every day, if, I, if I'm kind, if I tithe, everything's going to work out, right? But I tell you, when we do the right thing, we are now under the microscope of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy you. And once you start to get your life self-controlled, you start to um, um, surrender to the Lord all the little things, he's got his eye on you, the enemy does. And he, you may receive some negative response from the people in your life, the systems in your life. People don't like it when you start to get right. People don't like it when you start to watch your mouth. All of a sudden, you start to be like the goody two-shoes in your world, and they're just like, what's wrong with you? you? You got all of a sudden, you know, like, they'll just start to have some attitude about your lack of issue. You got some people who got issues with your lack of issues? I do. I do. I got some people who got issues with my lack of issues. Holding a standard is not always popular in every circle because it's going to make you look different, praise the Lord. It's going to make you sound different. It's going to give you different goals. It's going to give you different fruit. We keep the gap small when we keep good company. I'll tell you, praise the Lord for Nathan because David was going about his merry way not knowing how he had grieved the Lord. And it took a story, like a fabricated like puppet show. I even think of like a puppet show story. David, watch this. You know, like they're trying to like ease it. Like here's what you did, David. You know, like sometimes we don't know that what we're doing is actually um, eroding our consistency with Christ. We may not recognize it and you need some good people, some Holy Spirit-led people speaking truth and love to you on a regular basis. Who are those people in your life? For David, it was Nathan. Because David didn't feel like what he was doing was wrong because he was a king. He had taken care of the issue. It wasn't even an issue anymore. She was now a widow. I can, you know what I mean? He had taken care of it. So sometimes we don't feel wrong doing the things we're doing. It doesn't feel bad. But I tell you, just because you feel okay with it doesn't make it okay. We don't have to trust our, our feelings as the only source of right or wrong. We don't have to trust our feelings as the only source of whether we should continue on, double down on it, or give it up. Who's your Nathan? We keep the gap small when we take responsibility. Once he realized, thanks to his real friend, David repented with his full heart because nobody made him do that. Sometimes we say that, like, oh, man, I have an issue with anger, but people make me angry, right? Like, we, we don't hold the responsibility for our actions because somebody else impacted our emotions. And really, you are in charge of you. <laughs> I say this to kids all the time, but amen, I need to hear the lesson on a repeat. I am in charge of me. <laughs> Nobody else is in charge of my emotions. 
Nobody else is in charge of my impulses. It doesn't matter what my husband does. It doesn't matter what my kids do. I am still in charge of me. Nobody makes me do the things that I do. Nobody can make me stop doing the things that I'm trying to stop doing. I am in charge of me, and I have to take responsibility, which means when I realize I mess up, I gotta go to the Father and repent. I have to go to the Father and say, I know you saw that, and I'm sorry. And even if it's not an action, even if it's not a thing I did, but it was a heart, it is something inside of my mind. As I drive by and I see somebody and I judge them quickly, that's an, uh, an avenue for repentance as well. Because I will tell you, as long as I think that I'm doing good because I do all these good things, I can develop the heart of a Pharisee very quickly. I can develop the heart of somebody who would judge people um, and feel absolved of my own need for repentance because I got it all put together. I've been through the classes. I've done the things. I tithe in church. I attend weekly. I can feel fine and not actually correct the things in my spirit because I got the heart of a Pharisee and I feel fine. If we stay repentant, if we stay surrendered to what God needs from us, what he's calling us to do, and that's full transformation, not just action transformation. Sometimes I'll ask my kids, they'll be fighting, and I'm like, what's going on? Why did you hit your brother? My daughter will say, he made me mad. <laughs> and I'll tell you, we act that way all the time. She's nine years old, and I kind of give her a little grace. I kind of chuckle and be like, yeah, he did not. He might have made you mad. You got mad because of him, but you were the one who hit him, right? We still act just like that. We still act like he did it. He's the reason why I'm struggling. They, those, you know, like we can blame. We can get really, really upset, and we can, we can point at other people as the reason behind it. But here in Psalms 51, this is a psalm that David wrote, and it says in the beginning, if you look at Psalm 51, it says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is the, this is the letter he wrote. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. It says, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. The Lord is a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. And what I love about this little passage of scripture is David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And when I read that verse, when I read um, Se uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, it seems like he sinned against Uriah, right? <laughs> like you're like, actually, David, you're, you're confused. You didn't just sin against God. You also sinned against this man. But here's the thing. He's recognizing that ultimately sin separates us from Christ. And that is the biggest deal. That is the biggest deal. And so we don't have to just feel bad like, oh, nobody will notice, nobody will, it won't matter because um, it's just a small little thing. But when we get in, in our mind how big and awesome and present God is, it will allow us to live with a fear and a trembling, but also a hope and a passion for living the way God wants us to live because it's not against people or even myself that we sin. It's not against systems or it's not against, you know, the IRS that I cheated on my taxes. That's not where it is. It's against the Lord that our sin is directed. And so so we have to hold that differently. And the last way that we keep our self-control gap small is when we realize that God is worthy of the effort. 
He is worthy of the effort because when I sin, it's actually against God. Even if I'm over here punching people and that's not nice to people, it's against God that my sins are directed. And he had to bear, he had to bear the weight of my sin. He has to bear the weight of my lack of self-control. He bears the weight of my issues. And it's against him that I'm sinning. And so because of that, I have to pause and remember that he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. God is worthy of our disciplined life. He is worthy of our self-control. So right now I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing um, just a little bit of this song, but what I want you guys to do during this song is just start to position God, position God ahead of whatever your issue is. We got issues, all of us. We got something that God is telling us to do and we're procrastinating or he's telling us to stop doing, but we're too, we're too in love with it. And as you grow closer with Christ, as you go closer with the one who made it all, we realize that he is worthy enough for me to stop. He is worthy enough for me to take a step forward. He is worthy enough for me to ask for forgiveness. It is not because I want to be good or I want my life to be right. It is because he is worthy that I will make the effort. It is because he is worthy I will look for Christian friends. It is because he is worthy that I will make a change today. So if you want to make a change today, I want you just to take a step. Either step into the aisle, come up front. We're going to sing about how God is worthy, but I want you to take a step of repentance. I know I would be right here too. I need to take a step of repentance because there are things that God has asked me to do that I'm uncomfortable doing. That I haven't said yes to yet. And so sometimes just by taking that step outside of my comfort zone, it is signifying to God that he's worthy. He's worthy. So just take a step right now. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing, and then I'll I'll close. Heavenly Father, would you start to do work in our hearts right now? Where's the area that we need to move? What's the area that we need to tighten up? What's the area that we need to surrender to you and stop trying to do on our own, my God? Would you bless us right now as we praise you in Jesus' name? We sing, we sing, worthy is your name. Jesus, and you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name, and worthy is your name. Jesus, and you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Now in the heavens, as your glory fills this place. 
message and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com and if you want to support our ministry, click give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.